Good morning. Welcome to our service here at First Parish in Concord, Massachusetts, Unitarian Universalist. Welcome to church. Welcome to Sunday morning. My name is Reverend Liz Weber, and I am the Minister for Pastoral Care here. It is good to see your names in the chat. I invite you to keep saying hello if you are enjoying seeing each other uh, in that chat or to say hello for the first time if you haven't yet. Just make sure that you're either addressing your comments to everyone or to all panelists and attendees. Depends a little bit which type of device you're using, but we would love for everyone to get to say good morning to each other. And you can feel free to either use the chat or ignore the chat depending on your personal preference and in on what feeds you throughout our service this morning. Um, I would also love for all of our worship leaders to say hello. So I'll just go yep, in the order in my screen. And Lily, you happen to be first. Do you want to go ahead? Good morning, everyone. Glad to be here. So Lily is on tech. And Beth, how about you? Good morning, everyone. I'm the Director of Music Ministry here at First Parish, and I'm glad to greet you this morning. Um, I also want to say thank you to Mary Jane Rupert, who is our guest keyboard player this morning, and her recordings all come from her home, um, and we're very grateful that she sent them in. Great, and Amy. Good morning. Um, I'm the Reverend Amy Friedman. I'm your Minister of Religious Education. And it is a delight to be with you on this summer Sunday that has the crispness of fall. It's good to be together. So welcome to everyone, whether you are here for the first time, whether you're here just to check us out, or whether you're looking forward to the year ahead, whether you're here for the 500 millionth time, whether you're here from Massachusetts, or from Mexico, or from somewhere in between or beyond, welcome to service this morning. For our call to worship this morning, I invite you to just think about persistence and what that means. We're talking about persistence all month. It's our theme for worship for August. And we've talked already about, um, oh, that's not good. What did we talk about, y'all? We talked about uh, the importance of spirituality and spiritual practice as something that helps us be people who are persistent. We've talked about how in our own hearts and brains and bodies, when we start to freak out and want to give up, some tools that we have to help us calm back down and get centered and refine our ability to be persistent. And today we're going to be talking about the importance of working together, of being, of getting organized, of being in coalition and cooperation with each other as a community, and how when we're organized, we can persist better than we can on our own. So as we continue to persist in our theme of persistence, let us continue to explore and let us worship together. The ritual that binds us to the wider UU community and it is the lighting of the chalice in our services each week. So I invite you, if you have a chalice handy, to light it right now and feel that connection and that solidarity with Unitarian congregations, most of which are made the way we are meeting right now all over America and indeed all over the world. Please join me in our unison chalice response, which will appear on your screen in a moment. O flame of our faith, open our hearts and fill our bodies and souls with persistent strength. Enliven our spirits and engage us deeply in this life of ours, this sacred, essential moment now. Our opening song is a song of solidarity that comes to us from South Africa, from the apartheid movement. It is one of this beautiful body of freedom songs sung by black South Africans in the struggle for freedom. It's called Siahamba 
and the words to the, the words are in Zulu. And uh, I'm going to ask Lily to put them up on the screen so that you can see them for the first verse. We'll do subsequent verses in English and then come back to the Zulu at the end. But sometimes it's helpful to see those words in front of you. So I invite you to join me now in singing Siahamba Kukanyen Kwen Kos. Say those words. Siahambe Kukanyen Kwen Kos. Here we go. had a particular type of unfairness called segregation, meaning that black people couldn't go into the same places as white people could, or they weren't allowed to vote 
even though it was their right to vote. And this particular type of unfairness during the civil rights movement, many black people worked together and some white people too to make the, that unfairness, to stop that unfairness and to bring about more equality. So this is a story about an activist from that time named Fannie Lou Hamer. And the story is told by my friend, Reverend Teresa Soto. They made this whole video just for you all. So let's watch together. This is a story about courage and working together for everyone to have their say. Welcome to Fannie Lou Signs Up, a story about Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer. This is a picture of Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer. Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer was born in Mississippi and she lived with her parents and grandparents and all of her brothers and sisters on a cotton plantation. I say all of her brothers and sisters because there were 19 other ones. She was the 20th child in her family. Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer left school when she was 12 years old and went to pick cotton with her parents and grandparents and siblings. This is what a cotton field looks like. The cotton is actually hair that grows around seeds to protect them. And you can see that the plants are low. So people had to bend over to pick the hairs from the seeds and their backs would get sore and tired. In 1961, Mrs. Hamer went to the doctor. The doctor mistreated her and didn't allow her to make her own decisions about her body. Of course, this was very upsetting. One of the things Mrs. Hamer decided to do about it was take a class to help everybody learn how to make more justice together. So she did. One of the things Mrs. Hamer worked really hard on was getting black people the right to vote. This is a real voting booth. A lot of them are like this, or they could be a little different, but they have privacy where people go in and make votes about choices that affect lots of people. Mrs. Hamer wanted black people to be able to make choices about things that would affect them. That's like our fifth principle. Fifth principle, all persons should have a vote about things that concern them. Mrs. Hamer had a plan. On August 31st, 1962, she took 17 volunteers to the Indianola, Mississippi courthouse. This picture is of that courthouse from around that time. So this is probably what it looked like. The volunteers and Mrs. Hamer were there to register to vote. Register means sign up. And usually for voting, you have to sign up before it happens. But Mrs. Hamer and her friends knew that most black people were not being allowed to vote, even though that wasn't fair. The volunteers didn't get to vote that day. In fact, on the way home, the police gave them a ticket for a fake reason. It was an expensive ticket of $100, which isn't that small now, but back then was worth a lot of money. The fake reason for the ticket was that their bus was too yellow. Even though she didn't get to vote on her first try, Mrs. Hamer never gave up. In fact, in June of 1963, Mrs. Hamer was able to vote. So it took about two years for her to be able to sign up or register. Sometimes justice takes a while and we have to keep working at it. We can help each other do that. We give thanks for Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer and all her hard work for equality and for people to be able to use their voice.
definitely we give thanks for Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer and for her persistent work. Can you imagine working for two years just to be able to get to vote, which would be your right anyway? She did that and she did that and won because she was working with those other volunteers and they were all working together. But that's just one of many ways that Fannie Lou Hamer worked as a leader for her community and that she served her community. And Beth is actually going to tell us about another one of those ways now. As we talked about the freedom movement in, in South Africa being bolstered and driven by song and that sense of solidarity and reaching out, Fan Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer taught people to sing as they were working for voting rights and for equality. And one of the songs she is famous for teaching is a song we all know very well. It's called This Little Light of Mine. Interestingly, we tend to think of it as an African-American spiritual because we are so familiar with it from the civil rights movement. But it's actually a song that was written um, in the early 20th century by a Methodist musician, a white man, who was, wrote it in order to teach Sunday school children about the message from the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, where Jesus said to his followers, do not hide your light under a bushel, let it shine, let it shine. So Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer learned this from the Highlander School in North Carolina, where people were taught songs to help them organize people for justice. And she taught it to people who were working for voting rights and for justice. And so we'll sing it now in her honor. I know you know this and feel free to move and to use, uh, to use motions. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Building up the world, I'm gonna let it shine. Building up a world, I'm gonna let it shine. Building up a world, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. This little light, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine. Our reading this morning is a Facebook post. It's a Facebook post from January of this year by Ruby Sales, who was a leading civil rights activist. She wrote, do you think that black people in Montgomery were moved to boycott the buses simply for a seat in the front? Absolutely not. Rather, ours was a spiritual and social assertion of our humanity, as well as an announcement that we intended to live free and dignified lives. Furthermore, we were providing Southern white Alabamians an opportunity to make a new history that redeemed them from the moral stranglehold and death of their spirit. In short, black Alabamians fashioned a spiritual freedom movement that transcended civil rights. To reduce our struggle to civil rights, 
obscures the depth of our struggle, as well as the violent and radical evil of Southern apartheid. And we changed the center of spiritual gravity in the Southern public square from empire theology to black folk theology. Ours was a freedom movement that operated on hope rather than despair, love rather than hate, redemption rather than retribution. You might guess where this is going. One fateful day in 1955, in the middle of winter, an African-American woman was riding home on the bus, home from work. She was sitting in the middle of the bus behind the whites only section. But when the white section became full, the bus driver called out for the black folks who were sitting in the middle to move further back. When he yelled, y'all better make it light on yourselves and let me have those seats. This woman thought to herself that obeying such orders wasn't making it light on ourselves as a people. She refused to move. The police came and arrested her. And she was, of course, Rosa Parks. Her arrest famously sparked the Montgomery bus boycott. The boycott was a 381-day action for justice. 381 days, that is persistence for sure. This is the story that we know, but there's a lot more to the story than just this one person's action. And it's not as spontaneous as we have been taught to believe. Here is how Lynn Burnett describes it. For more than a year, the NAACP had sought to challenge segregated buses judicially, hoping to take a test case all the way to the Supreme Court. And Rosa Parks was their person. Parks understood the risks. Other women had been beaten, raped, and lynched after police arrested them for refusing to give up their seats. She knew that her act was a real disruption of racism and white supremacy culture. But she was an organizer with the NAACP. She had the strength of that whole network behind her. The organizing power was the key to her choice to act against segregation, key to her persistence. She knew that we are better together than alone. And even before the NAACP got involved, which they'd been working together for quite some time, even before that though, another group had been working on the issue. This was the Women's Political Caucus, sorry, the Women's Political Council. The Women's Political Council first organized the boycott. They were working on it for 18 months and they were just waiting for the right time for the boycott part. They seized the opportunity of Rosa Parks' arrest. That very night that she was arrested, women's political council leaders wrote and then printed and then distributed flyers to all 50,000 of Montgomery's black citizens, asking them to stay off the buses the following Monday. The women's political council and the NAACP then joined forces and they recruited local black clergy into their coalition. Over the weekend, they worked together well and quickly and they got the word out. And on Monday, December 5th, 1955, African-Americans in Montgomery stayed off the buses. Those who had cars or cabs drove others to work. Thousands of people walked for miles and some even rode mules. Whatever it took to stay off those buses and to participate in the boycott, they did it. They were committed. Now, the initial plan was just for a one-day boycott, but it was so successful, that first morning commute, 
that the coalition decided to keep it going. And they committed for the long haul. And then they elected the new guy, Martin Luther King Jr. as their leader. Learning from boycotts in other areas that had already happened, the coalition leaders swiftly organized a massive carpooling system. Over 200 volunteer drivers picked people up from 40 different carpooling stations, like a whole parallel system to the public buses. Leaders were soon coordinating up to 20,000 rides each day. Police escalated by ticketing and then arresting drivers whose cars were quote unquote overloaded. Now, while some white people were indifferent and a handful actively supported desegregation, too many reacted with violence. They vandalized black people's cars and houses. They threw food and stones and urine-filled balloons at black folks walking to work. King's house was bombed. And the black community persisted. Coalition leaders ultimately kept the boycott going for 13 long months until a test case finally made it to the Supreme Court. Not Rosa Parks's in the end, but a teenager named Colette Colvin, her case. With the ruling in their favor, Montgomery's black community declared victory and ended the boycott. There are many lessons we could learn from this story. Lessons about community organizing, deep love, and spiritual imagination. As Ruby Sales states, we changed the center of spiritual gravity in the Southern public square from empire theology to black folk theology. Ours was a freedom movement that operated on hope rather than despair, love rather than hate, redemption rather than retribution. Many lessons that we could learn and many more strands that I wish I could have included in this homily, even more than what we, than this coalition that I've already shared. Lynn Burnett's writing that I've pulled from is really worth checking out if you want to learn more. One danger of telling stories about the past is that we can think there's only one plot line. This was just Rosa Parks deciding that she was tired and wanted to stay sitting down. Or even that everyone rallied behind Martin Luther King Jr. and followed his direction for civil rights. Or that everyone agreed on what the right plan of action would be. But we know that actually movements for justice are always at least somewhat decentralized. We had Malcolm X as well as MLK. In Montgomery, there was the Women's Political Coalition as well as the NAACP. Sometimes our smaller groups, or sorry, the Women's Political Council as well as the NAACP. And sometimes our smaller groups work together in coalition. But sometimes each smaller group works on its own piece. But even when we disagree, we know that the larger movement for justice and spiritual freedom depends on all of us. We know that we are better when we work in community. We persist because of each other. So I invite you to let this story settle and resonate in your heart and to reflect on the question, when has working in community been more effective than working alone? If you have an example from your own life, you can type that right into the chat and I'll share our responses aloud in a moment.
So sometimes when working together has been more effective than working alone, right here in our own lives, include the conquered march against the Iraq war, doing the welcoming congregation process in my home church, the Vietnam War protests, conquered resettlement of Vietnamese refugees, creating our co-housing, working with the Asylum Network, Physicians for Human Rights, forming the green team in Concord for environmentally sustainable buildings, writing postcards to get out the vote, working together to get out the vote. There is power in multitudes. Joining in song, organizing demonstrations to stop the war in Bosnia. Right now, working for hearing accessibility. The Beyond the War Foundation in the 80s, Busing into Washington with other UUs to protest the Iraq War. Any political campaigns, all political campaigns. We work together and we remember that community can keep the compass set. Say their name, observances here at First Parish, the Maynard Anti-Racism Alliance, First Parish in Stowe and Acton and Sudbury, all working together participating in the crop walk. And your responses just keep on coming. The campaign for the Department of Peace, working in, um, in coalition across our towns, across our country, or even just working in coalition within our church to on the Racial Justice Action Group. So many examples. I invite you to keep reading them if you would like. They're in the chat. And keep letting them come to mind throughout the week. But let's sing together now. Yes, joining in song is one of those ways that we are more powerful and more we are more together than we are alone. This song um, brings to mind yet another strong African-American woman who led us in the civil rights movement. We've talked about Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer, and Rosa Parks and Ruby Sales. Let us not forget Ella Baker, founder of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, who has famously said, give light and people will find a way. An expression of solidarity if ever there was one. And here's a song by Greg Artsner and Terry Leonin, Leonino, excuse me, that honors Ella Baker. I think it will be familiar to most of you. It's very repeated, repetitive, so you'll get the words. And it starts with an introduction that our friend Gail Carey introduced us to, and I always like to begin it this way. and people 
of the things we do for each other in community is to give each other light. And each Sunday, I lift up your names and the names of those who you love who are in need of light, whether because of hard times or happy times. You're always welcome to share your pastoral news with me and, it, and ask that I share it with the congregation. You can just email me anytime or call or text. This week, we have sad news that Jan Power's brother, Bill Power, died on August 10th after a brief illness. And we send our love to Jan and Peter. And then, because life is full, we also have happy news that Lori Gill Pizarras and Jim Pizarras celebrate the birth of their granddaughter, Alessandra, on July 18th. Alessandra joins her parents, Matthew and Melissa, and her delighted big brother, two-and-a-half-year-old Warren. Thankfully, everyone is healthy. There are other names on your heart. I invite you to call them into this space now, knowing that we hold one another and we give our light to one another and that we can take it in when we need it. Let's sing together. hold up Alessandra and say welcome to the world, little one, and her family as they move together to moments of death and grief as we hold up Jan and Peter and Jan's family to every moment of in-between, no matter how hard or complicated we bring our hearts and our whole lives into prayer, into meditation. We ask for persistent strength. We ask that our spirits be enlivened. We commit ourselves to giving light where it is needed to learning from our history and working together in coalition. And I lift up all whose losses or celebrations or prayers remain in their hearts. And whether we have shared our lives aloud in community or with a few close loved ones, or whether there are some things that are too tender to say aloud. 
ask that each person in this circle, each person present today, be held in love. To know my love and your love, the love of one another. And I ask that that love and that light continue to spread, that all people and all beings may feel held in love, that all people may work together towards justice, towards spiritual freedom, towards siding with love. Amen. parish in Concord, Massachusetts has persisted for nearly 400 years only because we have worked together. First Parish in Concord relies on you, whether you are a formal member or whether you are just here, whether you're not a formal member. We depend on the contributions of each person in this community in order for the community to be sustained. You can give by text, which is pretty great. You can also give by sending a check to the church, um, or you can be in touch with Fifi Ball if you need any support. We are grateful for the offering. It will be greatly accepted now. The directions for texting to give will be on the screen and in the chat. The phone number is 978-712-2043. You can text that number. And if you need to change your credit card information or anything like that, just text the word edit to that number. Thank you for your generosity.
We're coming to the end of our worship time together, and I have a couple of invitations to extend before we sing one last time. First of all, uh, there's a lot going on, even though it's August, and the way to find out about that is to check your FP Weekly and your RE News emails, which come through once a week. If you're not getting those, we always remind you to check your spam filter. You never know it might be residing in there. So check FP Weekly and RE News for more information about what's going on. We also invite you after um, this worship service to join if you're interested in the worship sharing circle, which is a structured time to share your thoughts and impressions of the worship. And there will be a link to that uh, gathering uh, that will be put up on the screen and in the chat after uh, we're done. And also we have a coffee hour. And I'd love to invite right now Cece King, member of our standing committee, to say a little bit about that. Cece? Good morning. Morning. Um, so we'll be gathering for coffee hour in our, in our virtual parish hall. And um, we'll spend some time together and some time in uh, breakouts so that you have a chance to talk with each other about service, about persistence, maybe even about vulnerability. Um, been about a half an hour and it's informal, but um, hopefully a time to connect. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Cece. And so one more song before we head off into the week. You'll remember, I hope, that um, Melanie Damore, the wonderful songwriter and choral leader and movement leader, was here as our guest in late May to sing with us. And she reminded me and reminded all of us of a wonderful song she wrote just after the um, inauguration in 2017 called Lead With Love. It's a song that got me moving and up out of bed. And um, I want to share it again. And I'm going to stand because I feel like I need to move when I sing this. And I invite you, if you'd like to, too. Although you can stay seated and do a little stomping and clapping. The words are, you got to put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. That's the chorus. And then on the verses, it's a call and response. So I will sing something and you sing it back to me. And I know I'll, I'll feel your singing back through the, through, the, um, through the internet. So here we go. You got to put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Don't give up hope, give up hope. You're not alone, you're not alone. Don't you give up, don't you give up. Keep moving on, keep moving on. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Lift up your eyes. Don't you despair, look up ahead, the path is there. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. I know you're scared and I'm scared too, but here I am right next to you. We gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. We gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. And lead with love and lead with love and lead with
Our closing words are from Reverend Rebecca Savage, and they're from a collection of worship materials called The Promise and the Practice. This was put out a few years ago by our UUA, and it's a, just a bunch of readings and homilies and chalice lightings, everything that you might use words for worship, um, centering black voices in our faith, people talking about what it's like for them to be black Unitarian Universalists, especially in a denomination and congregations that are usually largely white. So materials are really worth checking out, whether like me, you're someone who's white and might learn about others' experiences, or whether you are a person of color who might find um, kindred voices there. Anyways, Reverend Rebecca Savage, she writes, these closing words. Spirit of life, spirit of love, we have gathered under the banner of a shared faith. We are born of a welcoming grace that extends and receives love. We are touched by the ways we have fallen short of who we strive to be, and we here are reborn, forged by a greater courage. Let us move from this place encouraged and refreshed for the journey ahead. Let's join together in our first parish benediction. The words will be on your screen. Go out into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no person evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering, honor all beings. Oh.